Welcome to the Rainbows and Rain podcast, the podcast for early interventionists. My name is Erica, and I'm an ECSE teacher in Minnesota. This podcast is about connecting through stories and reflecting on our practices during visits. Hear how I try to put best practice and research to work on the road on real visits and how I sometimes find humor in it all. I hope this podcast helps you connect and reflect on your own visits and interactions with families. Welcome to what is episode 25 of the Rainbows and Rain podcast. The podcast is now on Instagram, so be sure to check it out at rainbows underscore rain underscore podcast. I want to thank everyone who's been listening and commenting and sending feedback to the podcast. I really enjoy reading that and and seeing that. So thank you. The whole idea, if you're new to the podcast, is that Rainbows and Rain be a collaborative community where EI providers can come together and share stories, share experiences, figure out what's working and what's not, and how to just grow and evolve in our practice. So with that in mind, a few weeks ago, I put out on Instagram sort of a all call for your stories, your questions, and what did you want to hear about? And I'm going to go through some of those today on the podcast. I'm not the expert. I am truly just an early intervention service provider trying to figure it out and make things work day-to-day, visit-to-visit for all the families and children I serve. So you're going to hear my experience, but a lot of times I will share the experience of colleagues or from other people in the field. We have people listening across the U.S., and we also have several other countries listening too. So it's awesome to know that this is something happening in all corners of the world. So welcome again to the podcast and to the community. I've seen this question come up a couple of times, not only for myself, Um, but from other people listening to the podcast. And it's the question, what do you do when the family goal is so far off from where the child is at? And I totally get that and see that on visits. I can think of a visit I just had a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm on break right now, so... um, It's been a while, but since I've been on this visit, but this mom, she reinforces every visit, you know, what does she want to work on? And it always comes back to talking. She wants to work on talking. She wants to work on talking. She wants him to talk. And this child is not readily imitating. He, you know, will say things here and there and and does have a few, um, signs and other ways he communicates with gestures and eye contact and that kind of thing and making a choice. Um, but she, I said to her one day, I said, so what do you, what do you want to work on this week? 
And she said, well, I still, I still really want to work on talking and communication. There are other things going on too in this child's um, development and in the family structure itself, but that's where her mind is, where her mind is at. So I'm like, okay, great. Let's work on talking. What do you want him to say? And she comes back to me and she says, well, I just want to have, I just want to be able to have a conversation with him. And I'm like, okay, deep breath, right? Inside, deep breath. And I just had to kind of say to her in a really gentle way, and these truly were my exact words to her, we are far away from back and forth conversation. If that's what you're hoping for is like commenting and answering questions and just back and forth ongoing conversation. That is our ultimate goal. But right now today, that goal is a little bit farther off. We need to work on the steps leading up to that. So let's start with some target words that you maybe want to focus on or some signs you want to work on. I've heard you say today, you know he's hungry when, or you know he's thirsty when, What if we worked on some communication in those routines so he could actually start to communicate with you what he wants and you respond back to him? That's the start of those conversations you want to have so bad with your son. So I think it starts there when you get those big questions and when you get those family goals that are so far off, acknowledge that's the that's your goal too. Because it is. It's my goal too. I want him to talk and have conversations with you too. But right now we're here and that goal is way over there. So there are many steps and things to work on between here and there. So that's my approach to that is fully acknowledge that that's your goal too, but also take a deep breath and pause and say, we have work to do before that happens. This is a mom I've been working with for over a year and the ultimate goal has always been the same and She's made progress with her son and her son has made progress. Um, But again, it's okay to revisit some of these things on every single visit. Like, yep, we're still working on it. That's still our goal and we're still working on it. I am currently reading a really good book. It It's brand new. It was just published last November. It's called Building Preverbal Communication and Engagement, Triadic Gaze Intervention for Young Children with Disabilities and Their Families. It is a must for anyone working in early intervention, whether you are a teacher, speech, OT, PT, Anybody working with children with significant disabilities, this book is really good. It's 
based on 30 years of research. It is absolutely the key to helping kids um, successfully communicate and bond and engage with their family and the world around them. So again, the title kind of says it all, um, building preverbal communication and engagement. And it goes through sort of the stages of communication, but also the different ways we can communicate. It focuses really hard on what's called triadic gaze intervention. And I think this really holds the key to some of those kids who are preverbal. They might use some gestures. They might have consistent eye contact. They might have back and forth interactions but it's not at all consistent. And so I've had a lot of success just starting this book and starting to use some of the resources in it with families. Um, There are parent handouts, both in English and Spanish. I shared this book on Instagram as one of my key um, resources that I use. And again, it's still new to me. I haven't quite finished it, but I have started using the strategies and the data tracking. And it's also a way to show families progress when there's little progress. So when you're measuring progress that is so small, but very significant, It's a way to kind of show that. So again, they're not talking, but guess what? They're looking at you and the object or the activity and back to you, or they're requesting with their eyes or they're requesting with their eyes in a point now. So again, they're not requesting with words yet. They're not interacting with you with words yet, but there's all these little steps in between, um, that need to happen before that ultimate goal is reached that is important to the family and important to you. So I hope that answers your question when it comes to what do you do when the family goal is far off from where the child is at. I use, you know, communication as an example, but truly I think back to a little one I had with gross motor delays, significant gross motor delays, and one that I have now, it's kind of the same thing. Um, feeding, again, every area and any skill in development can be used with this. Acknowledge, number one, that that is your ultimate goal, but also gently say to them, there are many things that need to happen before we reach that goal. Okay, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit now because I had a question. How does direct teaching work in early intervention within parent coaching? And coincidentally, I also had a colleague email me um, a newsletter from, I think it's Rachel Arneson, the Talk at Rocket um, speech pathologist. And she did an article on direct teaching and, and things like that. And I read it. I had some conflicting feelings about what I read. Um, first of all, coaching is an interaction style. It's not an intervention strategy and it's not a model. It's how you interact with families. And when it comes to direct teaching and it comes to coaching, Coaching can be as hands-on as it needs to be. 
there is not one specific look to what a coaching visit, you know, ideally looks like. You really need to walk in and take the caregiver's lead. Some people need to see things before they do things. Some people need to show things before they explain things. You know, it's easier if you show versus explain. So coaching is absolutely, I think, at the heart of what pulls everything together um, when it comes to our knowledge, our expertise, the intervention strategies, and, and all of that. I think it really pulls everything together. Um, direct teaching. So when I hear the word direct teaching, I'm envisioning modeling. And when it comes to direct teaching and when it comes to modeling, for example, I just mentioned the book I'm reading. It has some very specific strategies in there and some skills that need to be mastered. However, I need to get parents on board with that and I need to be comfortable explaining it, showing it, and turning it over to the family. So the ultimate goal is that the family is able to do this. So with direct teaching, using their materials within their routines, you can do it. However, I strongly encourage you to pause before you jump into that driver's seat and start driving that boat because you want to have the parents with you. Okay. So if you, so imagine you're driving this vehicle and the vehicle is early intervention. And if you're going to do some direct teaching, you're going to be in the driver's seat, but eventually you're going to stop. And that parent in the passenger seat is going to switch with you and take the wheel. So in whatever strategy you're working on, I encourage you to ask questions before you jump to direct teaching. So for example, I might say, could I show you another way to do that? Or I'd like to explain something, um, but I think it'd be easier if I showed you. Can I show you how he might respond if we were to try it this way? Or, you know, that's just one example, but ask the parent for permission too. That's a big one. Um, Don't just jump in and assume that that's what they want to see. And assessment is different. And I'll I'll get to that when it comes to direct teaching. But um, ask questions like, hey, can I show you another way? Or can we try something different? Or is it okay if I try that? Because I really want to see you know, how he feels, you know, if you're assessing muscle tone or tightness or um, trying to get them to cross midline or whatever it is, just ask permission from the parent to do that first and then reflect with the parent what happened in those direct teaching moments and ask if they would like to try it now. How do you feel about trying it? Um, and that sort of things, or a parent might come to you and say, Hey, I tried doing that move you showed me to kind of get them into a sitting position, but I was really struggling. 
Um, can you show me how you did that on that last visit? The first thing I do before I jump to direct teaching is say, show me what you did first. And I want to see what happened first. And then I might say, okay, would you like to see me do it? Or can I help you do it too? So that's how I envision direct teaching working. It's not something that you can't do, but it's something I think that you should pause and reflect how you're going to do it so it's the most beneficial to the caregiver that you're working with. Assessment is a little bit different than I feel direct teaching is, and in the respects that you might need to assess a certain skill and you may need to put your hands on the child in order to assess that skill. Um, Or if it's something you can observe, great. But if it's something you need to feel, um, that's a little bit different than what I think direct teaching is. So I just like to kind of put that little footnote in there too. I hear this next question a lot from colleagues and people out there, and it's how do you get buy-in with coaching and parents practicing in between visits? And I think that's one that's really um, a big misconception out there is that you can say it once or you can give your little sales pitch about it. And they heard it and they nodded their head. So they must get it, right? No, unfortunately, I'm sorry to tell you they don't. It's been my experience that you need to pitch it many, many times. So through the evaluation process, at that IFSP meeting, especially at that first visit where you're setting the stage for every visit thereafter, and then continuing. If you do that for, I I wish I could give you a number, but it just depends on the family how many times you're going to have to say like, hey, this depends on the practice you guys do, or hey, this is about what works best for you and your day. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, resources out there. I'll try and link it. Um, but FGRBI.com has a great intro letter. I've been using it myself and it's beautiful. It's to the point. It's got three key things. It's called Welcome to Early Intervention. I love it. A couple other things I did differently this year coming off of COVID and coming off of being virtual was just kind of create a like welcome to early intervention newsletter or brochure just about myself, the team and the team members, what to expect on visits, that kind of thing. Um, And then at that first visit, say it again, you know, hey, welcome to your first visit. Today we're going to talk about what you want to work on and what's not working for you and how can how can we help problem solve it and make it better so i think when it comes to getting buy in don't think that one sales pitch is going to do it it's going to take many pitches 
um, before things start to click and before things start to take off. Um, but once they do, uh, it, it goes really well. Um, but again, just, just because it's not happening or it's going a little bit slower, doesn't mean you should abandon, um, abandon the, abandon the idea, keep at it, go slow and just, you know, continue to put parent and family priorities in the front seats. I think I've talked about this on another episode, but I walked into a very first visit one day and this mom, she just, you could read the anxiety on her face. She just had that like fake smile on her face and she was sitting on the couch in this kind of like ready to go pose. Um, and I just said to her, let's talk about what what's going to happen on visits. And once we did that, she just melted, like the anxiety just melted off her and her posture and her face and her expression just got so much more relaxed. And then we were able to kind of move into some other things, but just, you know, taking a beat, taking a minute at the beginning of those first visits, I think can be really helpful just to talk about what they're going to look like. Okay, the second part of that question was, and parents practicing in between visits. I think that goes really well with this other question I got, where, uh, which was, what do you mean by joint planning? What does that look like? Okay, if you want parents to practice in between visits, you must joint plan with them. And what I mean by that is at the beginning of every visit, you revisit or review the plan from the previous visit. And then at the end of your visit, you make a plan for in between. So for example, at the beginning of every single visit, I do the greeting, I do the check-in, how was your week, you know, anything new, um, did you go anywhere fun this weekend? You know, you tr- you make that, you have that rapport, that chit chat going on. But then I say, okay, so last time I came out at the end, you said you wanted to practice and work on, how did that go? So that's how every single visit of mine starts. That leads to how our visit is going to evolve and what's going to take place during our visit. What kind of practice is going to happen? Um, what kind of new things are we going to discover to work on or rework or problem solve or whatever? At the end of my visit, I end every single visit like this. And parents start to predict this because I say the same things. <laughs> I say the same thing at the end of every single visit and I'll say, so what do you want your focus to be? What do you want to work on between now and our next visit? I say it every time and, and they expect it. They, they learn to expect it, right? Consistency is key. Routine is key. Don't change the visit structure 
you know, because they're not there yet, you know, they're learning how to drive this car too. This is a whole new set of wheels. Oh my gosh. It, it's just, you know, they're not, you know, raising a child with, uh, developmental delays or disabilities is something you can't really prepare for. There is no book that came with their child. So this is all new territory for them. So go slow with them. Um, but be consistent because they'll eventually start to catch on. So at the end of every visit, I say that, what do you want to work on between now and our next visit? How are you going to do that? When are you going to do that? Do you have the things you need to do that? Um, and then I say, when I come back and I keep this plan pretty loosey goosey, um, the next visit plan. So I kind of want to sketch out just a little bit of what's going to happen on our next visit. So it might be, so the next time I come out, do you want to try some more sensory play like we talked about? Or do you want me to bring those pictures we talked about making or, you know, whatever it might be, or do you want to just work on what we're currently working on until you feel good about it? It's not like a very, you know, set in stone, but I want them, I want there to be some kind of plan a little bit anyways of what's going to happen on that next visit. And so, so that's what joint planning looks like for me. And that's how I get parents to practice in between visits. And if parents, I have this other question too, what do you do when parents don't do the practice? Well, then find out why they didn't do the practice. That really requires some reflective conversation. So for example, were they just too busy or it, did their plan just not fit into their routine? Because again, if if a, if a strategy is good, and I mean really good, it should be number one, easy. It should be fast. And it should evolve around a routine or activity. So when I mean easy and fast, I mean that the environment, the things the parents have access to are probably things they're already using and doing. They just need to use them maybe differently than how they're already using them. I hope you were able to follow that. But um, so if it's not easy, fast, um, and around an activity or routine that they're already doing, then it's probably not that great of a strategy, I'm sorry to say. And some aren't, to be honest. Um, And that's when you just move on and say, okay, then we can try and problem solve this or try something different. But I think it's it really should require a reflective conversation about why didn't it work and what could make it work. Um, or what do we, what else do we need to look at? And if you want that practice in between visits, if you want that buy-in, if you want all of that, you need to write that plan down. Don't expect parents to remember it. If it's not written down, you can't reference it. There's no accountability, Um, It really helps with data tracking. So whatever your visit note looks like, um, I've used 
to be honest, several <laughs> different visit notes lately because um, I, I am also looking for fast, easy, and built into my everyday routine of work. Um, I don't want to be sending tons of like detailed notes or setting, you know, setting aside hours of time to write these up. And whether you write them out on the fly at the visit, whether you text it, whether you share a Google Doc, whatever it is, make sure you write it down if you want that number one, the buy in, if you want true joint planning and parents practicing, I think that's that's key too. I thought this was a really good and interesting question. And I think this applies to all of you guys. So I encourage you guys to kind of think about this question. And the question is, how do you get past rainy visits? So of course, if you've been a listener of Rainbows and Rain, you know I use weather as a metaphor. So rain, storms, thunder, lightning, those are the visits that are really stretching you to your limits um, that, you know, are sometimes a little bit more turbulent, but eventually you get to the sun, you get through to the rainbow on the other side. But how do you get past those rainy visits? For me, I take a beat, I take a moment and I reflect on the visit, what could have went, what went well, what could have went better, and what am I going to do next time? I think those are the three things I take away from those rainy visits is what went well, what could have been better, and what am I going to do next time? And also, I think at the heart when I when I leave those visits that just kind of really emotionally drain you from whatever's going on in the home, in the family, with the caregivers, mental health, whatever it is, I feel like if I supported the caregiver, then I did okay. It it was okay. That's all I maybe needed to do. You kind of need to be okay with those rainy visits too. Because eventually you'll see that sun, eventually you'll see that rainbow with that family or with that child. So those rainy visits are going to happen. Be okay with them and be okay with yourself. Like maybe you didn't reflect as much as you should have or given her a given the mo- that mom as much feedback as maybe she deserves. Or, you know, you're going to kind of like run through that maybe in your head a million different ways. But guess what? There's going to be another visit. So you can do it better on the next visit or recap on the next visit. Or if it's something you really wish you would have addressed, say that on the next visit. So that's what I do. There's always going to be another visit. So that's how I get past my rainy visits. I'm going to wrap the podcast up here. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and for being my co-host today. I really enjoyed the questions and hearing what people are struggling with. Um, Feel free to share any thoughts questions or feedback for the podcast on Instagram, or you can email me too. 
at erikabo 80 at gmail.com. Please don't forget to rate, review, and follow the podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. And I apologize if you heard a little bit of background noise. Uh, I have a golden retriever who is kind of pawing and petting and circling uh, my feet here who does not like to leave me alone when I podcast. So again, thank you for joining me and I'll catch you on another episode of Rainbows and Rain.